Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Well, um, apparently Chris Wallace uh, didn't think that the president's acceptance speech last night at the RNC was, um, well, in his words, he said it it lacked figurative fireworks. Uh, Fox News anchor Chris Wallace was impressed with the fireworks display over the National Mall, but said President Trump's speech at the Republican National Convention lacked figurative fireworks. So um, the Fox News Sunday host said Trump's acceptance speech was too long, too boring. Um, I tell you, I tried. I tried to stay up and watch this thing, and I made it probably about 55 minutes. Uh, Compare and contrast that to 32 whopping minutes that um, Joe Biden did the other night. But uh, it was 70 minutes long. He said it felt more like a State of the Union address than a speech that was designed to inspire voters. There certainly were impressive fireworks on the mall, Wallace said, but I have to say I was surprised at the lack of fireworks in the president's speech tonight. First of all, it was far too long, 70 minutes exactly. And I thought at times it felt more like a State of the Union speech than a campaign speech, Wallace said. Um, uh, let me let me give you my analysis. What I'd like to do today is, uh, you know, go over the RNC. Um, it was uh, boy, they learned a lot from watching the the Democrat National Convention last week, and um, you know, it, it, Trump's impressive. Um, some would say uh, illegal um, because there are laws in place where you can't do a a convention or a speech like that in order to drum up votes um, in the people's house or in proximity to the people's house. So there there are discussion and debate whether Trump even should have or could have done what he did last night. Um, But um, regardless, uh, that venue and the flags all over the place and the beautiful evening and um, compared to... uh, Joe, uh, looking like he was hosting a Zoom <laughs> meeting, and then um, you know a uh, a parking lot in Wilmington that looked like an old you know drive-in uh, thing that was going on. Really, it was it was pretty bad if you if you look at the comparison. But anyway, I um, <clears throat> the first thing that that came to mind, and and we always do this uh, whether we realize it or not when we watch people on television. Um, it's how they look, the whole appearance, the whole choreography, and the uh, sometimes the substance of what they have to say gets lost in the shuffle, and that's purposeful sometimes. But the um, first thing that jumped out at me, I hate to sound like a, a leftist here, but man, that dress that his wife was wearing was completely just amazing. Yes. But, uh, shockingly green. (laughs) And I think that was by design. I I think when she does stuff like that, she, she's learned from the best, which is her husband, which is let's do some stuff that will bait our opponents and get them talking about mindless things and get them insulting me because I don't, uh, you know, they, they feel that I have not mastered the English language. Um, you know, Bette Midler's comments were absolutely insane. Last I checked, Bette Midler does not speak five different languages like Melania Trump does, but I digress. 
but I, I think the, the dress was, um, was done to kind of invoke a little, uh, a little discussion and it, it does flush out, uh, people that hate Donald Trump and will write three and four page, uh, dissertations on how the dress was this and how the dress was that. And I think that works as everything that Donald Trump does to his favor. It, it's, it's amazing how well, uh, he can manipulate his detractors. So I, I think that was by design. I also think one thing that struck me, we'll go into the meat of it in a minute, but the, uh, the fact that his, he didn't have his standard blue suit, white shirt, red power tie was very, very, uh, telling to me. Um, you know, I was watching it with some folks and they said, well, you know, his tie is pretty conservative, but yeah, that that's not Donald Trump wearing a tie that's a little bit more toned down. And, you know, we can get into, uh, Mr. Wallace's, uh, critique, uh, how he said it was, um, the speech was a little flat. Uh, I, I think it was that way by design. I, I think, um, the import of the situation with all the chaos and anarchy and rioting in the streets and all sorts of craziness. I think the, uh, the moment, um, needed something a little bit more, uh, presidential, if you will. And I know, uh, detractors of Donald Trump and fans of Donald Trump oftentimes want him to be a little bit more presidential. I think the tie was the first indicator that he was not going to go crazy and, um, and say crazy Bernie and crazy Joe, which he may or may not have done. I can't recall, but in, in, in totality, I think he got his points across. He was quintessential Donald Trump. But I don't think it was as uh, barn burning and uh, and uh, just you know rousing of a speech as he does in his uh, you know pre COVID nineteen when he would do his tour, um, and I think that was by design, and I think that was good. You know, and, you know, Chris Wallace may thought it was flat, but I think it was. Um, I think the words tempered, measured, muted. Uh, are, are probably, at least in my estimation, more accurate than flat. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you look at these um, these speeches across America in the last three years where he just lights into his opponents and he's funny and he's bombastic, yeah, in comparison to that, was it flat? Of course it was, but um, it was uh, it was what it needed to be. And, you know, I jotted down a bunch of stuff, but it's really not necessary to go over all the things he, he, he touted his accomplishments and, you know, to Chris Wallace's point, um, he probably needed 70 minutes because he did have, he does have many, many, many accomplishments and he needs to tick those off one by one by one and hit every constituency group, which he did very effectively because he has done so much and there is so much um, lying and disinformation um, on the side of people that hate him and don't want him to be president again, that unfortunately you do have to, um, at the risk of running long, you do have to tick off all of those things one by one by one. 
And I think he did very well. Um, article goes on to say the fact that there were 2,000 people in close quarters on the South Lawn, um, seemingly very few with masks, no social distancing, ignoring all public health recommendations. Um, he says, I suspect that's going to have a lot of comment in the next few days. And, and I think, um, you know, I saw that as well. But I think, and believe me, don't don't take this the wrong way, ladies and gentlemen. I think that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the um, I think we are well beyond. Um, do you have your mask on, and what's the your temperature, and have you been out of the country? I, I know that those are health protocols that we put in place to try to get back into some degree of uh, normalcy, but. Um, I think Donald Trump has way bigger fish to fry than um, were people six feet away and this and that and the other. People chose to be there. This is America. Um, and um, I, I think any uh, discussion about that, although I'm not going to say is I'm not going to be that dismissive and say that we shouldn't discuss it. But when all you got to do, and I'm, I'm not flacking for or advertising for Tucker Carlson at Fox News, but uh, all you got to do is put Tucker Carlson on every night. And as informative as he is, and he is oftentimes a lone wolf in describing things, you know, it is disturbing to see city after city after city after city literally burning and people getting beatdowns. And, um, you know, we'll get to a story in a moment, moment about Senator Rand Paul when he was leaving um, uh, Trump's speech last night, which was, a, if you see the video, a very harrowing um, experience him and his wife um, had to go through. <clears throat> but, um, you know, when, when we see what we see in cities all across America, it kind of puts it in perspective. And Jim Jordan, I was watching this morning, you know, the, the refrain that we've all heard, but he, he again articulates it better than most. Um, those of us on the right have been told to get under the bed. We'll tell you when to get out. You cannot go to church. You cannot open your business. You cannot return to any degree of, of, of normalcy. We will let you know when it's cool to do that. And if you do that to reasonable people, Democrat or Republican, and then when those people turn the television on and they see other people that are not abiding by any of those social distancing rules, masks, laws, um, and they are just rioting, looting, going about their business, uh, just creating chaos, um, that's a problem. And, you know, he, he says quite accurately that one candidate, Joe Biden, is pretty cool with that. And another candidate, Donald Trump, says this is ceasing and it will cease under my leadership. So, um, you know, I, I, I've seen and heard pundits speak about how the left on uh, you know C MSNBC, CNN, all the the usual areas where leftists reside, um, have changed their tact a little bit, and instead of these are peaceful protests, 
now they've they've seen the polls and the polls are in Donald Trump's favor in the last few weeks and they are uh, quoting a new narrative which is yes the cities are burning and it's Donald Trump's fault well you know I, I mean the fact that it took them that long to kind of realize that cities burning would really be off-putting to moderate Democrats or moderate Republicans that probably don't really care for Donald Trump too much, but may vote for him. Um, it's kind of intriguing to me. Uh, on the one hand, you would think, you know, law and order and, and some degree of safety, regardless of where you are on the ideological continuum, is, is something that is uh, pretty universal. But that's in a sane world. Um you know, the, the other side of that argument is these people are in such an echo chamber um, reporting that this is a peaceful protest or as, as that famous video um, uh, chronicles uh, the CNN guy saying it's more like, a you know, a, um, a street carnival or, or whatever. And the anarchists shouting him down saying, no, this ain't fun and games, buddy. Um, you know, it, it, it may be a function of just reporting on this in such a skewed way and then collecting your fat paycheck and going back to your gated community. And it, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying, I'm not no psychologist, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if you do that day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, you may really be surprised um, if, if you are in that much of a echo chamber or a cocoon that, yeah, um, riding in the streets definitely affects Democrats, too, and they don't like it. Um, you know, I mean, to you or I, that may seem like, yeah, the first five minutes of this craziness, all you got to do is put the TV on and, and your your Democrat moniker or Republican moniker is out the window. You say, wow, that city looks a lot like mine. That's not a big city like Philly, Detroit, Baltimore, Washington, uh, Chicago. This is a these are medium sized cities where these things are happening and they're bleeding into the suburbs. And I can assure you, um, talking to and associating with and having friends that are certainly not Republicans, um, this lawlessness, this anarchy, this instability, this uncertainty coupled with the, the uncertainty of the pandemic is is just very off-putting to people of all political stripes. And for CNN and MSNBC to just kind of be getting that now is really very intriguing to me. It, it really is. But um, nonetheless, I think they're getting it. And their new spin on it is, yes, indeed, you know, what your what your eyes are seeing on the television is indeed true. People are looting, injuring people, killing people, beating down store owners, stealing their stuff, laughing about it, um, uh, quadrating off uh, cops and um, uh, just trying to harm them, kill them all at the... Uh, you know, uh, just the, the the leaders of those uh, said cities or municipalities doing absolutely nothing about it. Um, 
Yeah, that's um, that is happening. Your eyes uh, do not uh, betray you, but it's um, Donald Trump's fault. That's not going to fly. It, it just really is not. You know, we we uh, political campaigns try to tag the other campaign or the other opponent with this or that, and sometimes I will see the point that the president or the governor or whomever you're trying to attack is just simply standing there and is not at fault for whatever is happening. And you try to tar and feather them with uh, the occurrence. I mean, that, that happens in politics all the time, but to, to say, you know, on the one hand, these, these crazy things that are happening in the, in the streets are steeped in in just profound um, discontent with with the racist president that we have, and you juxtapose that to an RNC convention and pretty much daily life in America of a of a, of a litany of African American um, entrepreneurs, friends, uh, disaffected folks. Um, uh, the the lady that was in jail for 22 years almost, and and Donald Trump granted her clemency. It, you know, it it, it def- let me be blunt here. African Americans have eyes and they have ears, and they don't listen to MSN, NBC, and CNN 24 hours a day. They may watch it um, a fair amount, but you can't really swing a dead cat without hitting. Um, an African-American, uh, male, female, uh, young, old, rich, poor, whatever, that is extolling the virtues of Donald Trump and what he has done to this economy, to this culture, um, uh, criminal justice reform. We can go on and on and on and on and on. And uh, that record just simply does not square with the... Um, the mud that is trying to be uh, slung and stuck onto Donald Trump, that he's a racist, he's bad for black people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, a, a good point was brought up the other day in, in, in many of these states that Donald Trump won. Um, he didn't win them by a lot of votes. And a lot of those votes were votes that did not go to Hillary Clinton. Um African-Americans did not support her in the same way that they supported Barack Obama for a lot of obvious reasons. Um, one thing Donald Trump should be concerned about is is if it were not for the African-American vote in South Carolina, when Joe Biden was literally on life support, fourth place in Iowa, fifth place in New Hampshire, limped down into South Carolina. And if it wasn't for James Clyburn, he would not be your nominee right now. So Joe Biden and his uh, how endearing he is to the black community is certainly probably better than Hillary Clinton, but it certainly is is not enough if Donald Trump continues to work hard for all Americans, regardless of skin color, to... Um, you know, tip the scales in Joe Biden's favor. All it takes is is anywhere from two to four percent in any of these large cities, Philadelphia, Detroit, Milwaukee, um, any of these cities, uh, you know, Cleveland, Cincinnati. If if 
Donald Trump can chip into that percentage, that incredibly large percentage of African-Americans who do indeed vote for Democrats and knock that thing down from, um, you know, 92 percent to 88 percent or that's enough. That is a huge swing of, of folks. And that could be enough to win that state for Donald Trump. So this is something that Donald Trump's um, work ethic, which I, I've never seen anything like it in my life. The guy's 74 and he's just infatigable. Um, he will continue to tirelessly not only set forth policy and advocate for African-Americans or Hispanic Americans or Jewish Americans and all Americans, he, he, he not only will do that, but he also will do it with such fervor <clears throat> and zeal. And um, he will just simply <clears throat> outwork Joe Biden. And as he did outwork uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, now, the COVID uh, pandemic has has shelved Joe Biden, and that's not necessarily a bad thing for him. But um, Donald Trump is starting to hit his stride a little bit, and I would suspect he is going to be hamstrung largely by this pandemic. Um, but, you know, there's really no way, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but there's probably very small chance that Joe Biden can wriggle out of debating Donald Trump. I wouldn't be surprised if he got knocked down from three debates to two or something, but there's another two or three times that Donald Trump will square off and quote unquote, get to be Donald Trump. And that's probably a good thing for him. Um, if he can find a way to do these uh, rallies that he is so famous for, then he may very well um, turn this thing around. Um, if you believe the polls, I mean, the polls said Joe Biden was up in, in many of the swing states. And now after the convention, uh, the DNC convention, he didn't really get that much of a bump. And um, Donald Trump seems to be getting uh, some momentum, but we are still 65 days out. So we'll see what happens. Uh, let, let me shift now to uh, we're, we're going to slowly go into a, a few stories about the craziness on the streets. And then, you know, if time permits, we're going to get into a little bit um this uh, this notion of Marxism, uh, communism, socialism, totalitarianism, uh, fascism, you know, they all have little subtle differences in them. And um, some of the more heady folks out there will say, well, that's not communism. That's more socialism. And that's not really fascism. That's Nazism or whatever. Um, for the purposes of our discussion and who we are speaking to today, just garden variety, intelligent people that don't get too far in the weeds, I am going to lay out uh, for you that regardless of what dogma we're talking about, and I just ticked off about six of them, they all have some similarities. And, and uh, I will get to what those similarities are and how they greatly affect those of you out there that call yourself evangelicals, faith-based voters, 
uh, religious folks, whatever you want to say. But um, before we do that, we'll just tick off a few of these uh, stories. I don't know if you knew this. I I didn't see this until this morning, but um, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul uh, was surrounded by a mob last night when he uh, left um, Donald Trump's speech. And reading the article doesn't really... um, do justice to what happened. You have to really see the video. It was kind of scary. And it says, um, uh, the title says, I don't think we would have survived. Rand Paul says police saved him and his wife from a mob of DC protesters. Now I was, I was watching that last night and saying, you know, in this protected area is probably, you know, Everybody's generally safe, but when this thing disperses, there's got to be some real organized uh, protest, and obviously there were was. So this says Kentucky Senator Rand Paul feared that he and his wife would have been pummeled by protesters if police had not intervened as they left the White House and walked to a hotel following President Trump's acceptance speech. He told Fox and Friends this morning that the city is no longer safe for Republicans like himself to be out walking. I regret that I made this decision, but I said, we'll walk the two blocks. Now, how twisted is this world that we live in that this guy would have to waste either his money or taxpayer money to get a cab or hop into somebody's car or whatever to walk two blocks to the hotel he and his wife are staying at. I mean, two blocks. You can't walk two blocks. It's crazy. We walked one block. But as we walked one block, we could see some police in the distance. But we also saw a mob of about 30 people marching and yelling. They all of a sudden saw me right as we got to the police, fortunately, or I don't think we would have survived, Paul said. And, um, man, if that's not a God thing, I don't know what is. What if, what if they recognized him while, while he was still a block away from the cops? But if you see the video, they kind of figure out who he is just about the time he gets to the police. And, um, it's Harry, you know, and, and he's, he's not, and he's been attacked before, as you know, by his neighbor, um, he was out simply mowing the lawn. He got tackled by his neighbor. I mean, this, this is some sick stuff. Um, but he, he not only has to worry about himself, he's got to worry about his wife, um, who was, uh, terrified. You can, you can see, I mean, it it was a crazy thing. The Senator said the crowd swelled to more than 100 protesters, some of whom shouted profanities and threats at the couple At least one officer used his bike to push back the mob. They were shouting threats, you know, to us, kill us, hurt us, but also threats saying, shouting, say her name, Brianna Taylor. And it's like, you couldn't reason with this mob. No, you cannot. But I'm actually, now this is the irony. I'm actually, this is uh, Senator Paul speaking. I am actually the author of the Brianna Taylor law to end no-knock raids so the irony is lost on these idiots, his words, not mine, that they are trying to kill the person actually trying to get rid of no-knock raids. You've seen the pictures of what they do to you, Paul said. If the police were not there, if you defund the police, 
if we become Portland, if America becomes Portland, what is going to happen is people are going to be pummeled and kicked in the head and left senseless on the curb. That would have happened to us, I promise you, and we would not have the D.C. police to support us. We are thankful we have police. We've got to wake up. We can't have Joe Biden rule the country and have no police, he added. Now, that, that seems like a very basic uh, statement on Rand Paul's part, and he's a very intelligent guy. But y- you don't have to be real intelligent to understand why this is happening uh, throughout the country. The article concludes with uh, Senator Paul believes that some of the protesters were, and we've heard this many times, were out of town, rent a rent a protester that have been paid to start trouble. There are infinite funds out there on the left and, and for people that hate this country and want to see people like AOC and, and Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer running this country. Uh, these guys and gals have deep pockets and funding, you know, rent a protesters to come in to various cities I mean, think about that. It takes a plane ticket. It takes a hotel reservation. It, it takes a lot of dough to, and then the person has to put their life on the line by by getting in and agitating and doing crazy things. That, that costs a lot of money. And somebody's funding that. These are not organic protests. So, um, you know, th- this is what we have. We cannot have Joe Biden rule the country, he says, and have no police, he added. Um, and President Trump last night said a lot, obviously 70 minutes worth. But one of the things that he said over and over and over again, and you will start to see if you have not seen this already, um, commercials that are going to be very, very graphic, disturbing, and vivid of craziness in the streets, business owners getting beatdowns for no reason at all other than the fact that they are defending their property and their businesses and their and you know their life savings, if you will. And um you will see those images juxtaposed um with images of Donald Trump and the things he is trying to do in order to uh, restore law and order to this land. Now, I'm, I'm not a big proponent of feds coming into cities and saying, okay, we got it. Um, we're coming in. We're doing our thing here. But, you know, they, they do have a right to do this, per, particularly in sanctuary cities where ICE uh, is not welcome. They have been told they cannot execute um, warrants for people's arrest. Just get out of our city. We do our own thing here. Um, that is uh, that would lead to anarchy. If if you have governors, mayors, leaders of various municipalities that basically are telling law enforcement not only stand down and not do anything, but we're not going to protect you either. Um, we have various cities where law enforcement is huddled together in a building surrounded by crazy people uh, being threatened to be to be killed. And, and their bosses, if you will, the governor or the mayor uh, of that municipality 
is really saying, you know, wish I could help you. And it, it, it will not be sustained. That's what I'm saying. So where I'm going with all this is you heard the words last night, safety, numerous, numerous times. And safety and, and um, exploiting this, the fact that, um, I mean, competitors do it in business all the time, that my competitor, his product is not safe, mine is safe. Um, uh, they jump on that all the time because the consumer wants to be safe. They want to be safe in their vehicles. They want to be safe in their home. They want to be safe when they scrape together a few dollars to take their wife out to dinner, uh, perhaps in a city. They want to be safe. And if they're not safe, um, we we do not have a society. If If it is not safe to say that the emperor has no clothes or, hey, that's wrong, or, hey, you can't do that. If it's not safe to say that in the United States of America without fear of a beatdown or losing your life savings or somebody walking right onto your property as, as happened down in Missouri and started saying, yeah, that room's going to be mine and I'm going to kill that dog and we'll have our way with your wife and all this stuff. If you can do that in the United States of America... We don't have a United States of America anymore. We just do not have that. And and heretofore, we have had a system here where we have full faith and trust in the people we have duly elected, a governor, a mayor, um, and the police force uh, to be the last line of defense between good people and bad people. We'll just keep it simple. And we don't have that construct anymore in a lot of places in the United States. Thank God that in most places in the United States, we do still have um, a degree of that. But the fact that that's eroding to any degree is is very disturbing. And um, I'm telling you, I, I think at the end of the day, what my friend Rick Santorum um, always told me at the end of every interview that I ever had with Senator Santorum when I was nervous and fretful and what's going to happen and the left seems like it's winning. And, you know, I probably should have read, you know, Matthew uh, 6, 19 through 34 a little bit more and I would have calmed down. Um, our Lord is in control of all this, right? But he would allay my fears just about every time and say, Kurt, and I've said this on the show many times, we have new listeners, I'll say it again, Kurt, they always overplay their hand. They cannot help themselves. And when you are blinded by so much emotion and so much hate of, of one man, which is Donald Trump, um, and secondarily, um, what you and I believe in life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, the constitution, God, all these things that are absolutely foreign um, to people on the left, many people on the left, when you are just blinded by, by raw anger and emotion and fear, um, you will overplay your hand. And he has been in um, politics. He hasn't been for a while, but he was in politics for many, many years and he is a student of, of these these um, uh, Democrats, liberals, uh, opponents of his, uh, and he and his family have suffered greatly by uh, 
by the things that they have said and done to him for no reason at all, other than he differs in opinion than they than their opinions. But anyway, um, he knows them like the back of his hand, and he says they always overplay their hand. So, if you want to be hopeful instead of fretful, obviously turn to the Lord, and He will. Uh, he will calm you down, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, the peace that transcends all understanding. We all need that, correct? But um, I think you should take heart in the fact that this country has not yet gone to hell in a handbasket to the degree that many of us think it has, and there is hope. And the hope um, obviously lies in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but um, on this side of the clouds... I really, and I'm not going to say our hope lies in Donald Trump, our hope, and it does to one degree or another, but our hope lies firmly in the camp of the moderate Democrat or the moderate Republican or the Republican that may like a fair amount of the things that Donald Trump does, but can't stand them in other areas and really is not very excited to vote for him. Um, or the the person that has never voted before that is that has believed Democrat propaganda since they were little kids, and we'll get to a couple people in a moment that were like that. Um, There's where our hope lies as far as this election in uh, 65 days is concerned, because the people that are doggedly Democrats are going to vote for Joe Biden. It doesn't matter; they are. And the 42 or so percent of people that are Donald Trump devotees are going to vote for this guy regardless of anything that he does. Um, conservatives have a big problem with his um, what they term socialized medicine uh, proposals in, in slapping around the drug companies. Um, it doesn't matter to uh, Trump voters uh, or Trump devotees. They they could care less. All he's got to say is your prescription prices are lower and they go, yay. So my point is there are a, a pretty large faction of people, probably 90% of this country that has made up their mind already about what they're going to do. So our hope, if you want Donald Trump to, you know, be reelected and if you want a lot of this craziness that's happening in the streets to abate um it is going to be with uh moderate democrats who don't like to have to look over their shoulder when they walk down the street with their wife um they don't have to worry in the city of philadelphia about an atm blowing up and killing them because you know somebody needed a few bucks um Safety is very important, and there, I, 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 I hope and I pray that there's a lot of people that may not be Donald Trump fans, and they may not even be Republicans, but at the end of the day, um, they want to live to see another day, and they want their children to be safe at college or walking down the street or um, anywhere, and as long as this chaos in the streets continues to happen... And the statues, uh, the statue thing, as Donald Trump said last night, has been curtailed because of the uh, the threat of a 10 year prison sentence if you do it. Um, but, um, you know, 
safety is going to be the um, the biggest campaign issue in the next two months. COVID-19, I mean, the leftists will say you're not safe as Donald Trump is our president with, uh, with his managing of the COVID-19 crisis. Um, and, and he could, he, he, they could spin it that way and they could have their own safety shtick, if you will. But pictures do not lie. There, there's a reason that that statement, a picture is worth a thousand words, is very powerful. Um, numerous presidential elections have been won and lost on images, on pictures, um, on, on video of things happening in the streets that have turned elections on a dime and people have in droves uh, perhaps voted for somebody that they never thought that they would vote for because they want to be safe. So um, in the time we have left, it's not a ton of time, but you know, I think I can do it. Uh, We hear a lot um, when Donald Trump stands up and does a, a stump speech or whatever, about um, crazy Bernie, socialist Bernie. Uh, this is not a socialist country. And I, I don't think a lot of people understand fully um, what uh, what Mr. Trump is saying or, or other people are saying. And, you know, we at some point in time could do a whole show, probably will, on the nuances and the differences between um socialism, communism, Nazism, uh, fascism, uh, some of the overarching ideologies of Marxism, uh, totalitarianism, um, uh, dictators and, and all of the all of the above. And there there are there are subtle nuances and differences between many of these things. And, and uh, Maximo Alvarez, who spoke um, the first night at the um, at the convention, um, does not he a Cuban immigrant that has a wonderful story and we can get to it if time permits here, but he does not like when we call uh, what Bernie <clears throat> Sanders espouses and what AOC and many of these people espouse as socialism because he thinks it's too soft and um, some of the leaders of of these really twisted movements. Um, have been quoted over the years uh, as saying socialism is the precursor to communism. And he wants to jump to right, right to what it is, which is communism. But um, for the purposes of our discussion, let me, let me just take a 50,000 foot view and I'm not going to define each and every one of them, but I will tell you what, you know, I'll I'll read a a definition of Marxism and, um, and I'm going to do this simply to illustrate a point that I have illustrated on, on the show several times, but it bears repeating. Many of the folks in our audience are uh, faith-based voters, evangelicals, and there is indeed a ever-growing, not real large, but ever-growing social justice leftist Christian left out there that really has has amalgamated um, Christianity into um, either knowingly or unknowingly into a lot of Marxist doctrine and, and, and just put it all in a little soup and stirred it up and said, voila, we have it. And I'm going to try to be kind and say that most of them 
don't know what the heck they're talking about when they when they blend these two things. Um, being a evangelical or born again Christian and a Marxist is is thoroughly incompatible. It is it is an oxymoron. And um, what we'll try to do today is, is illustrate that or at least scratch the surface a little bit, give you a little bit of a working understanding of, of what I just said. But um, Marxism, in, is, as this definition terms it, is a social, political, and economic philosophy named after Karl Marx, which examines the effect of capitalism on labor, productivity, and economic development and argues for a worker revolution to overturn capitalism in favor of communism. Marxism posits that the struggle between social classes, specifically between the bourgeoisie, who are capitalists, and the proletariat, who are the workers, defines economic relations in a capitalistic economy and will inevitably lead to revolutionary communism. So there you have um, it in in a nutshell, in a, in a very 50,000 foot view. Um, nothing in there sounded real evil, did it? Um, I mean, you, you cannot forward um, dogmas by oftentimes saying what they actually are, or people with common sense um, or a fear of God or both would reject them. But um, I, I did notice a couple weeks ago, I was watching Martha McCallum on Fox and uh, Burgess Owens, uh, former football great, is an African-American candidate for the 4th Congressional um, uh, District in Utah. And um, he really pulls no punches. Um, these guys are just amazing as far as they they don't really pussyfoot around as far as calling it what it is. He out and out says the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement are Marxist. Um, they are an anti-God movement. These are very strong words. And he goes um, into, you know, detail in, in chronicling why they are like that. And he's not alone. I saw on the uh, in the uh, convention the other night, Herschel Walker, um, you know, uh, taking the time to uh, to tell us all that Donald Trump is not a racist president and uh, goes on. And and he, I've heard him on occasion um, talk about Marxism. And, you know, this romantic view of Marxism is, um, is troubling. And it, it is geared toward, you know, 20-somethings and AOC, um, and Bernie Sanders saying, this is free, that's free. It's really Christ-like to give you free stuff. And um, But at the same time, at the Democrat convention, they omit the words under God from the Pledge of Allegiance on a couple of um, occasions. Um, and I, I got this article from uh, CBN News. Uh, they learned that the words under God were left out of the pledge at least twice in public meetings during the DNC. Um uh, convention, um, the moderator of DNC's Muslim delegates and allies assembly left the words out as their meeting got underway. And there was no verbal resistance to the move at the time. Uh, in another instance, the LGBT caucus meeting, 
um, identified, uh, they, they led the Pledge of Allegiance, but paused silently in place of the words, under God. And um, this lady was holding both the American flag and the gay pride flag, which she dropped to the floor in the middle of the pledge. So Democrats kind of have a problem. Um, Joe Biden, despite all the um, fire he's been getting for not being uh, of, of his complete faculties, was smart enough to use the word God many times toward the end of his speech no doubt making um, many of the socialists and Marxists and, and radicals in his uh, party cringe, but it, it's something that he has to do. However, the word God has been taken out of the Democrat platform several years ago. Um, it's been omitted a couple times in these meetings at the convention, and um, it, it does it does pose a problem for anybody that cares to think. And that's what I'm asking you to do now is think. Um, it may sound Christ-like and noble to give everything to everybody for free at any point in time, but it really is not. And if you do just a very, very basic study of the origins of a lot of this stuff, there are two things that jump out at you. Um, very quickly and um before i get to my words i'll just use the words and i've done this before on the show and i'll do it again the um of some of the more notable statists nazis communists socialists marxists of of the past uh, martin borman who is a nazi leader said national socialism and christian concepts are incompatible Joseph Goebbels, Nazi minister of propaganda for Adolf Hitler, said, The national church demands immediate cessation of the publishing and dissemination of the Bible in Germany. Joseph Stalin murdered millions. You know they are fooling us. There is no God. All this talk about God is sheer nonsense. Karl Marx said, Communism begins where atheism begins and the first requisite for the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion. Marx also said atheism is a natural and inseparable part of Marxism. And lastly, Vladimir Lenin, it is true that liberty is precious, so precious that it must be carefully rationed. Let me stop in the middle of his quote. You cannot ration Liberty, that's like being a little bit pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. Um, he goes on to say, give me four years to teach the children and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. And let's temper some of these very, very chilling comments with what the great Ronald Reagan um, had to say in response Um you know, Ronald Reagan, who has had a long history of fighting communism before he ever became a politician, um, wasted no time when he became president of calling the Soviet Union the evil empire. Um, communist regimes all over the world despised him for this because he shone the light of day on what these dogmas uh, represent. And we'll get to what they represent in a moment, as far as my opinion is concerned. But um, 
Ronald Reagan said, uh, freedom prospers when religion is vibrant and the rule of law under God is acknowledged. And he also said, within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems men face. So why are we going down this road, Kurt, of um, are you really trying to tell us that the Democrat Party is the no God party and the Republican Party is the God party? Well, anybody that's listened to my show for any degree of time knows I have a big problem with the RNC because um, using God um, to gain votes and then going back to whatever state capital or Washington and voting in a manner that is inconsistent with the word of God. I think God has a bigger problem with Republicans than he has Democrats. But for the purposes of our discussion today, um, me talking to people on the Christian left, people that think it's Christ-like to just give free stuff to everybody at every time, um, people that say that the protesters in the streets are peaceful when they are not. Let me just kind of end the show with my opinion. Um, any of these dogmas, even though there are subtle differences between them, um, Bernie Sanders' dogma of Marxism, and he calls it socialism, and some people are communists, and they, you know, it's all in branding, right? All of these dogmas have two things in common when an entity or a person anywhere in the in the world tries to pull the wool over your eyes with this type of a socialistic dogma or marxist dogma the first thing they do and and you don't have to believe me you can just believe the quotes of the folks that i just chronicled the first two things they do is they they go for your god and they go for your family. Why is that? Because people in desperate times, in troubled times, find peace, solace, comfort from a God. Um, and maybe they don't believe wholeheartedly in God like you or I do, but at least people historically have turned to their mom, their dad, their brother, their sister, their nuclear family, their their close allies to get them through troubled times. Um, if you take the family out of the picture and take God out of the picture in right out of the chute, then you have dispirited your um, your people in whatever country you're in or municipality, and they have nowhere to turn but to the state for their creature comforts, their needs, their fears, whatever. So um, as uh, Lenin said, we cannot give out too much liberty because too much liberty would open the door for religious freedoms, people to believe in this invisible God or to rely heavily on the, uh, the ideologies and the principles that their family have taught them. We, we can't have that. So those of you that think Bernie Sanders and his Marxism is just all fine and good, and some of you even think that it may be God-inspired, are, are sorely, sorely mistaken. Um, Marxism, communism, socialism, they are godless dogmas. And they're not only godless, they are hostile to God. And um, 
we will kind of leave it on that sober note. We'll pick it up more uh, next week, but I, I want you to be you know, just very mindful of, of these, uh, of these dogmas that people just kind of puke out of their mouth and it sounds real good. It's not real good. If you peel the onion, you will get to the fact that um, one party and many of the folks that are really running that party now are forwarding some godless dogmas that are very dangerous for the United States of America. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Until next week, have a great day.